I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins. And you're listening to Biz Talks, a weekly conversation with local business leaders about topics affecting New Orleans and Southeast Louisiana. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Rich Collins. Today's guest is Kara Lambright, CEO of City Park. Today, she'll talk about the park's ongoing master plan project and her vision for the future of one of the city's treasures. Kara Lambright, welcome to the podcast. Oh, hi, Rich. I'm so glad to be here today. Thank you for getting together in this post-Thanksgiving week. Yeah, it was. A, I don't know what your week was, was like last week, but I had 18 people for seated dinner, so it feels relaxing to be back at work. <laughs> it's nice. It's a little bit peaceful. Exactly right. And I noticed my inbox hasn't blown up yet. I think that's going to be tomorrow. And that's right. Wake up from their turkey comas tomorrow. So we're talking about City Park, one of our treasures. Could you just share some of the metrics about the park that will help us understand the scope of what you manage on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. And, you know, thanks for asking that question, because I think while we all know how precious City Park is, I think City Park is kind of one of the great unheralded parks in the United States, right? It is so rare to have a park of this size. So it's more or less 1,350 acres. We're getting that kind of more finely tuned, that exact number. But to put that into context, that's 50% bigger than Central Park. So if you imagine that you're looking at postcard image, right, of New York and that huge green rectangle, add 50% to it, right? It is absolutely enormous. And that it is surrounded by, at all four sides, by kind of dense urban environment really separates it from the rest. You know, it's also 170 years old. I mean, this is something what I think is so unique about City Park is a lot of parks start really big and they get smaller. Maybe a a museum goes in, a presidential library goes in, it gets taken for an airport, it gets taken for development. But New Orleanians kept making City Park bigger, right? Bigger and bigger and and really protecting it. Um, I think it speaks a lot about um, City Park making New Orleans livable, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's truly unique from all the WPA era aspects, right, to this incredible live oak collection, right, it's the largest collection of of old live oaks in the world, and also a a history that we really have to talk about. City Park was desegregated by the Supreme Court, right? And these are things that a lot of New Orleanians know very deeply and and for all the reasons that we wish they didn't, right? Because they experienced it themselves. But a lot of New Orleanians don't know about it. And um, we want to make sure we tell all the stories about City Park. That's amazing. I mean, the the, the social history, but then also, did you say that we are the largest collection of of live oaks? Is that what it is? Of of old live oaks in the world. Yeah. I mean, the the, the live oaks, their value cannot be underestimated. I would actually say they're perhaps the most valuable asset that the park has. And, you know, we've been a little bit hand to mouth for much of our existence. So we don't have a proper tree inventory. We don't have a full-time arborist. Part of this master plan is ensuring the health of the live oaks and also ensuring that we're planting new trees, right? We know that we're going to need a lot of shade in the future. Well, speaking as someone who lost an oak in front of my house last year, it was a city oak that came down and we're deeply in trauma. And yeah. then I, I live uptown where there was, there's a bunch of other oaks this year came down and you can tell people are just are very concerned. I'm curious for you guys with the park, with that being your asset, what are the biggest threats to those to those trees? Oh, that's a, a great question. And and first I would say, Rich, like when you lose a live oak, it it feels it feels like physical pain, right? I mean, it's 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 truly palpable. 
we're watching live oaks all across the South begin to drop off at a rate that is absolutely unprecedented. And yeah. it is attributed to just one degree in temperature change. Right? Uh, so right now we have consultants as we have national consultants coming in. And then we also have wonderful local consultants that are coming in right now and creating kind of a, a very quick tree health program. And yeah. then one that's a 30, 40, 50 year forecast. Um, I think one of the, one of our real vulnerabilities is trees don't live forever. Like no matter what kind of care uh, they're given, no matter the wonderful climate conditions that m may or may not be there, they don't live forever. And we do always need to be thinking about, not us, not, not Rich and Kara's experience in the part today, but our, our children's future and really right. begin to be planting and thinking about that now. So obviously that's part of it is, is it's not just protecting the trees, but it's planting more trees. That's right. So that's how you keep the canopy. Oh gosh. Okay. So, uh, so here we are. Uh, I think everyone in New Orleans says, yeah, we're bigger than Central Park. And somehow that always gets conflated with we're the, we're the biggest urban park in the world. We were talking just before this. That's not, that's not the case. But I do know that City Park um, has more man, it has a lot of managed uh, acreage, which is not true for some of these massive parks. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, you're setting me up beautifully, Rich. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I would say so. First, I, I really, really love our our moxie here that uh, that we kind of claim biggest and best, and certainly <laughs> we can claim best, absolutely. But no, we're not the the. We are amongst the largest urban parks in the world, and we are really unique that we're in the city center. But I would say from a, from a parky standpoint, when parkies are, are is a kind of a dorky word for people who manage parks, something that is really unique is that almost all 1,350 acres are open and actively managed. Yeah. So a lot of really big parks would have something you kind of call like the back 40, the back 40 acres of a farm that you just right. neglect a little. And, and because to care for every single acre is incredibly expensive. So most parks would actually have kind of a tier, I don't know, one, two, three. So your most, your highest visibility areas would get a lot of care. And then you kind of move back to some things that maybe only got, you know, brush hog once a year or, or twice a year or something. So I think what we know is that we want to, we want to make sure where people are interfacing with a park frequently, that those are moving to an A plus standard. But to do that, we also need to let some other areas of the park move into a really natural, soft native landscape. And it's gonna be great for New Orleans, it's gonna be great for Louisiana, it's gonna be great for the bird flyways, right? That go over nice. our migratory path as we move to a native landscape program with a, with a little lighter level of care. That's interesting. Okay, so it's not all about putting in another, you know, money-making, you know, revenue-generating feature. No, I think, you know, uh, I. I as someone, I've had a house here for 10 years and I have certainly been watching City Park and all the parks here in New Orleans. And, I, and I'm aware of a criticism, right? That a lot of fences have gone up, a lot of admissions are being charged. And I go back that there was a post-Katrina moment, right? Where everybody yeah. was really having to fend for themselves. And you see that legacy, not just in our green spaces, right? But throughout New Orleans in all sorts of ways. Here we are at a different moment in time, though. Philanthropists understand the value of conservation in a way that was never understood before. Even our public understands supporting, you know, an annual fund, right? To make sure that... Uh, that we're able to truly keep the park uh, free and accessible to all. So I'm not here to say that when we move forward with a master plan, that there is not something that has a fee attached, like we're thinking of kayak rentals and canoe rentals and things like that. Um, 
but the core, a, a core value um, is about making as much of the park accessible and open to the public without any impediments to use. Remember the most graphic example of that tension for me came after was it the pandemic when up here at the Ottoman Park, where the where the where the people just took over the golf course. Yeah, and yeah, it I mean, was wonderful. It's the United States, right? And and <laughs> I think maybe it's not so much about golf as it is about people really wanting their parks to serve them differently. There used to be a time that folks wanted parks for recreation and maybe some culture, like a museum. Um, but now they really needed to offset this urban environment. So increasingly. They want it to be passive. They don't want to be told how to use a park. And, you know, our own survey, so we've done a survey as part of the master plan, and we've had 4,600 results. 60% of them rank nature as the most important thing. Interesting. Uh, is it, I know. Isn't that interesting? And I don't know that that would have been true 20 years ago. Yeah. So I think, I, you know, I think there's an interesting correlation between, like, give me back my my my, my space or get rid of the golf course, you know, yes. our, um, I, I personally think that two things can, can coexist and that we can certainly open up a lot more of the park and still perhaps provide a heck of a municipal golf experience. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, it's, it's, along those lines, how much does it cost to keep this park running on a year to year basis? And how is that much expected to increase over the coming years? Yeah, that's a, a, a great question. I mean, uh, I'll um, I'll answer from my from what I know now and then my gut about the future. But I will add that we have a huge team of consultants that are doing a lot of future casting. So right now, so our overall operating budget is about thirty million dollars. But I'd like to pull that out and just say, kind of opening up green space is about four million dollars. There's some unique things that we can do moving forward with the master plan. Some of it is moving back to a native landscape instead of a really intense mode areas. We certainly want to make sure that there are places where people can still drop a blanket and read a book, right? It's not, not all, we can't have a park made up of all tall grass, you know, that's, right. that's not what people want. But there are some ways that you can kind of nudge the way that you manage different landscape types and reduce costs in certain areas and then, you know, allow allow you to spend costs differently elsewhere. So I'm really thinking that, that we're not going to see such a dramatic increase in our maintenance costs like other parks would that we're embarking on something as ambitious as we're embarking on. Understood. So, okay, he, I, I promise I'm going to ask you about the master plan because that's why we're having this conversation. But one more, which is I, I was I know a lot of a lot of changes happened since you've been here about restructuring the way the nonprofits support the park. Can you talk about what happened and why? Yeah. So you know when I was hired about two and a half years ago, I was actually an employee of the state of Louisiana as were all the other employees of City Park. But the catch was they didn't even get to participate in the state pension program. We, we were not part of the state's annual fund. And so here we weren't getting really the benefits of that state structure, yet we weren't taking advantage of what parks across the United States were doing, which was taking advantage of a nonprofit structure where people could donate to City Park. You know, you look at the um, advances that Audubon has had in the last, what, now 40 years. Um, right. so in the late 80s, they started a nonprofit uh, to help them ra raise money for the parks. So, so did Central Park, so did Golden Gate Park, all the parks that you can think of, kind of when you think of the Grand Parks. 
And we really honestly needed that widget, right? There was just no way to remarkably improve or overhaul City Park without it. So on October 31st, 330 employees resigned um, from the state agency. <laughs> and one minute later, more or less, on November 1st, they were rehired with City Park Conservancy, which is a nonprofit now and is in a, in a long-term agreement with a with City Park Improvement Association, which is the longstanding state agency that is overseeing the park. And it, the agreement is really fantastic. It creates a lot of checks and balances. It can... Uh, it has all the, all the right guardrails, right, uh, to manage this public space for the public while being able to take advantage of the generosity of donors. Were there people who didn't love this plan and had to be convinced? You know, it's really cool. When I think first, there's two boards, 330 employees, there's state officials, there's the public, everyone got it. And, you know, I think fundamentally everyone's like, everyone wants to care for City Park, right? And they know that it's not going to happen through us throwing a lot of weddings, right? right. I mean, everyone understands that we we needed more. I mean, there were certainly some people who asked tough questions, but we had the answers for the tough questions. So it was, it was a long, really re- rewarding process. And I think it was really great to see everyone mobilize around the, the park. Nice. Well, that's obviously one major change and one accomplishment that that you've seen through. Now, this master plan is another huge endeavor. Can you talk about the master plan process? What is the master plan? Why is it necessary? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of folks like, why are you doing this now? But I would say, you know, City Park is, uh, there was a master plan in 2005. It it was um, established right before Katrina. And it really was, um, if you will, the secret sauce uh, to quick recovery for the park right after Katrina hit. We had a publicly informed plan. It was ready to go. It kind of met met all, you know, all the requirements. And we consider that plan done. And one of the, I, I would say something that's really different, though, is that plan was really focused on the south side of the park. Um, I kind of say that that area of the park is loved to death. You know, it's <laughs> okay. got, I mean, it's such dense, dense use. Um, but there really wasn't much of a plan done for the north side of the park. And for context, it's, it's bisected by the uh, by 610, yeah, and the railroad. So, for context, the north side of the park alone is the size of Central Park. Yeah. I mean, like, wrap your head around that, right? And think of most people don't know what's there, don't know how to use it. They, they only know of it in two ways. They know if their you know, parents or if they grew up here, they know that a long Marconi was probably where they played some ball, yeah. right? And then they know there's golf because golf takes up about 50% of, of the area. And I'm going to be really clear when I'm talking about golf, we do value golf and we intend to have a fantastic golf experience here in City Park. But what can we do? to open up this north side of the park, right? A size of Central Park should be serving serving New Orleanians, right? And, and serving serving our residents. And right now you actually have to go out of the parks. You have to go out Harrison or Fillmore to get back into the park. <laughs> I mean, you have to like leapfrog out to access it. We know that there's beautiful, beautiful lagoons that nobody gets to experience and there's trails, but nobody quite knows how to use them. So a real focus here is on looking at the whole entire park at one time, all 1,350 acres and say, 
how does this all connect? How do we make sure people can get to the park? Is right now, if you are reliant on a bus system, perhaps, well, it only goes up as far north as Tag Wormley. So here we have a forest, Couturier Forest. Well, you can only get to Couturier Forest if you're lucky enough to have a car. Obviously, these are things that have to change to make sure that City Park is truly serving the public. Why is the South Side so much more developed? Yeah, you know, that's a, you're asking the question in, in, in just a way that makes it hard for me to answer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, I certainly think the two museums, you know, Noma was always there, adding the Children's Museum in, and then of course having our Heritage Christian Brothers School and the Botanical Garden, there was already a dense amount of cultural attractions. But we also kept building roads to bring you in there and parking lots, right? right. We really did a lot to anchor the car experience, um, and also to kind of remove the park experience and that and that action. So when you come to the south side of the park, more often than not, 70% of you are coming to this area over at City Park in Marconi. That's where 70% of people enter the park. And of course, if you're trying to picture in your head, you realize there's not even a sign that says City Park, right? It's this kind of unmarked, vague corner. Yet we have built all these roads in. There's actually three east-west roads stacked one on top of the other. Yeah. In that area, what we've made sure you can do is you can drive to your one activity and you can drive away. Yeah. Um, and we know that we we have to fix that. We have to fix that for cyclists, right? So folks can cycle through the park and feel safe. We have to change it for pedestrians. We want to make sure that pedestrians and cyclists could actually be side by side if they wanted to. Right now we have three foot sidewalks and four foot sidewalks. And in some ways we've kind of lost the park experience on the South side, but we have certainly gotten a density of people. Understood. Uh, so now this master plan in theory is going to look at all of it. Can you talk about this meeting that's coming up December 6th? What's the purpose of that meeting? And then also there's a there's a firm uh, that's a partner in this process. Can you explain that? Sure. So it turns out I have a really talented staff and I'm really experienced, but I don't know how to uh, do landscape design. <laughs> so, so we have hired, honestly, the very best landscape architecture firm in, in the world. It's Michael Van Valkenburg Associates. So they have done incredible projects like the Brooklyn Bridge Park. They just finished the Obama Presidential Library, but they also did the George Bush Presidential Library. They did the gathering place in, in Tulsa, which is completely reinvigorated Tulsa. Uh, they were an instant and unanimous fit, and, and we're, we are simply thrilled to be working with them. When you attack a project of 1,300 acres in a 170-year-old park, it is complex, right? In many ways, you have to make sure that no part of a design process gets out too far ahead of the other. So we're doing business planning, and we're doing a fundraising feasibility study, and a market study, and design, and public input, and all these things kind of have to stay you know, right, right in, in lockstep with one another. So we are going out to the public in a series of six meetings and each of them is building on top of the other. Again, going along with the idea that nothing in design can get too far out ahead of something else. So this is about access and circulation. We first have to understand what are the impediments for people getting to the park? And then what are the impediments and opportunities for people moving within the park? 
one of the most obvious examples of it is this big scar that goes across the park in the form of a highway and a railroad, which makes it very much seem like two different parks. Mm. It also makes it intimidating for someone on, on foot or on a bike to get to and to feel like they can access um, so the first meeting is really about, or I'm sorry, we're on our second meeting. The first meeting that we had in September was about kind of saying what's coming. This meeting, though, is about circulation and access. The next four meetings, the next three meetings, actually, we'll be building on that before we present the final plan in December of 2024. Embedded throughout those meetings, though, are focus groups, more surveys, more uh, feedback loops. We will not be able to declare this master plan done until we truly feel it was informed by the public. Like a successful park is a park made for the people. Right. And we've seen so many, you know, wonderful urbanists do incredible studies over the years, looking at beautifully designed places and then wondering, well, it's beautifully designed, but why aren't there people in it? Yeah. Um, and that's what happens when design isn't done in conjunction, right, with, with users. So this meeting is going to be a little different, though, and I hope um, all, all of your listeners will come out to it. This one we're presenting more in an open house style, and we'll actually have stations um, for these uh, big interactive exercises, you know, it's important to have meetings sometimes with a microphone and a PowerPoint. It is. Sometimes you have to get information out, but it's really hard to take information in. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a setting like that. So in, in this particular open house coming up, we actually have this the coolest model of the park. It has all the topography in it. Is I don't have the exact dimensions, but think is about 20 feet by eight feet. And you can actually look over the park and understand how a decision in one area affects what happens next to it. Because it's so hard to do that with just a flat picture on a wall. Right. Um, you know, to understand this kind of, you know, ripple effect of decisions or to see opportunities, right? To suddenly see some things crystallize, like in the very center of the park is this beautiful lagoon system that is almost a complete loop. Imagine if you could get on it with a kayak Mm. or a canoe. Um, And I would say like, I like kayaking and canoeing, but sometimes I get intimidated if I don't know where it stops. (laughs) How do I I get off of this? So imagine if it was something usable and accessible. And these are things that you can kind of see through this huge model and then through the other stations that that we are going to have around. We really want to hear your hurdles to getting to the park. We want to hear some feedback on some kind of wild ideas. Like what happens if we try to wind our way through the center of the park instead of going out to the edges and coming back in? What if there's a big, beautiful park promenade that begins to connect all of these sites? That's not a, a, a road that's meant for cars and, and, and you know, commuter traffic, rather. Is meant to take you through a park. And, uh, you know, what can we do? Help us public, help us think through how we bring these 800 acres on the north back to you for your use. It's interesting. Now, being New Orleans, do you, I imagine crime is a consideration, right? You have to think about park safety. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, you know, City Park, 1,350 acres is bigger than Gretna, it's bigger than Harahan. I mean, it's a small city kind of in. And in every way that you can imagine. So what can we do to to get lighting right, um, to get parking right? 
Also, there is safety, if you will, in numbers. We need to make sure the park is activated. Mm -hmm. I think one of the coolest things that um, came through through the survey, because um, I always say there's always little surprises in surveys, was this real call to action from the public for something to do at night. Yeah. Like they wanted nighttime activities. And, and some of the answers were just so eloquently put. And, you know, imagine what we can do to make park users feel safe coming to the park at night. It has a lot to do with creating areas of activity where there's lots of folks that are out and there is a sense of community and, and then we're, we're out there being together. Right now, is, is tennis the most active thing at night in the park? Is that true? Oh, you know, there's a lot of sports. So, um, you know, it's kind of sports across the whole. And then the rest would be seasonal. So, of course, Celebration of the Oaks, you know, keeps it really active. Oh, right of course, now. Celebration of the Oaks, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a dumb question, but when you're driving up Marconi and, you, you know, obviously the parks, you're heading toward the lakes of the parks on your right. Those fields on the left, that's not part of the park land, is it? Yes, it is. Uh -huh. oh. so, yeah, so kind of up over to the levee. The, the levee board has a little strip along the wall, but no, those are all city park fields. And uh, no, it's a dumb question, Rich. <laughs> well, it's dumb in the sense that I, I've lived in the city for 33 years and stood in those fields all that time and didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so then it has Marconi, so it has more or less a commuter road going through the middle of... A park land. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Okay. And then you were talking about how people don't experience uh, the north side of the park. I'm trying to think. I think the only, uh, there was that walking trail that used to lead up to that. Yeah. Somebody burned that top of the hill down, right? That thing. Laborde Mountain, right? So yeah, it's in Couturier Forest. And yeah, there is a beautiful trail network up there. There's a great disc golf course. We do have ball fields that are kind of stuck in the very middle. They're a little scattered. I'd like to think that we could make more of a, okay. a sports complex and have our sports make a little more sense to users. But largely it's golf. And then there's the Wisner track, which was the one of the, there was, used to be four golf courses. And one was kind of changed and that's where voodoo takes place now yeah. over the festival grounds, festival right? Grounds, yeah. yeah. And then, and then this area called the Wisner track, which was the third golf course, which has been fallow more or less since Katrina. And it has a really a, a passionate group of, of users who really love that it's passive, that it feels like it's in a natural state. I mean, we have to do a lot of education to make it clear that it's really filled with invasive species and it's very vulnerable. But what we hear is okay you want to be able to walk trails you want to feel safe doing it you want birds you want nature and you don't want to really be told how to, you know how to use a park you, yes. you want to make your, your own park experience and and that's an absolute priority in this master plan understood i'm just about out of time so i'm going to ask you one one more question which is yeah you're you're approaching three years on the job i'm curious if you have just looking back now at your time uh, at the helm uh, any surprises? What's the biggest surprise for you? And then, you know, the uh, highlights for you. Oh, man, I hear little, you know, I think when you operate a park, surprises come uh, <laughs> every day in the form of uh, all the creative things that take place in a park. I'm trying to even think if there's any story that I can tell you that is fit for <laughs> um, fit for airing. But, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not sure that there is, but I assure you every day is interesting at City Park. But I will say, you know, I think the most fascinating thing for me with a park this size is nobody is chasing us down to try to develop it with something. Huh. And, you know, and that really is unusual. I mean, you know, I, I think every 
every big park is always fighting off encroachment. And there is just something I, you know, and I, I'm always trying to kind of put, put my finger on it, like what it is with New Orleanians and, and our other local residents that just have always known this is sacred space. Yeah. And I also think this continuing call to make sure that that what we are going forward with is about nature and gardens and green space and not about um, widgets and and a built environment. And that's been consistent since the moment I've been here. And that really aligns with my passion. So it's it's really just been an honor uh, since the day I took the job. Well, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts about it. We're glad you're here. Thanks for all your hard work. Carol Ambright, CEO of City Park, thank you for your time. All right, thank you, Rich. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Biz Talks is brought to you by Biz New Orleans Magazine. Follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans and visit bizneworleans.com for daily news and stories.